Welcome to the PhD podcast project from the Yale's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. In each episode, we interview graduate students in different programs at Yale to learn about the exciting work being done at the frontiers of research. We will dive into the motivations behind their work and how it may impact our lives and those of future generations. I am Sandra, a rising second year PhD student in sociology. I am joined by Jazz Riley, a PhD candidate in African-American studies and American studies. We are excited to talk today with Damar Lewis, a sixth year PhD student in sociology. Hi everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Black at Yale, where we talk about aspects of the Black experience while being at Yale and highlight our graduate student experiences and research. I'm Jazz Riley. And I'm Sandra Konopua. Resident Sterling Professor of Sociology and African-American Studies, Eli, or Elijah Anderson, writes and speaks extensively about being Black in white spaces, the name of his most recent book, in ways that span generational experiences. And while highlighting problems that persist for generations, Anderson offers newer insight with solutions on occupying these spaces that draw deeply and intimately from engaging the issues as from engaging specific issues described by the exact people who are enduring the experience of being black in a white space. The historical precedent that paves the way for Anderson and his unique and important ethnographic and analytical approach is Alexander Boucher. In 1876, Boucher, a graduate of Yale College and Graduate School of Arts and Sciences became the first African-American to earn a PhD from an American university. In 2021, 145 years later, with an increased number of black and brown students enrolled in GSAS, only 13.4% of the graduate student body belongs to an underrepresented group. And on today's podcast, we will discuss what it's like to be a black graduate student at Yale with our special guest, Damar Lewis. Damar Lewis IV was born in Los Angeles, California and was raised in Denver, Colorado. He received his bachelor's from the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business a Master's of Public Policy from the University of Michigan's Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy. Currently, Damar is a PhD candidate in the Departments of Sociology and African-American Studies at Yale University. His research leverages multiple methods to broadly examine health consequences of lynching, policing, and social inequalities in the United States. Damar's dissertation explores how the lived experiences of Black people living in a large Midwestern city shape their visions for the future of community safety in America, and in turn, their relationship to the institution of U.S. policing. In 2018, Damar was selected to participate in cohort three of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Health Policy Research Scholars Program. He is a proud alum of the McNair Scholars Program and a former associate fellow with the Institute for the Recruitment of Teachers. Welcome to the show, Damar. Thank you, Jazz. Thank you, Sandra, for having me. Um, how are you doing today, Damar? Uh, I'm a little tired. I'm not going to lie. I uh, have been traveling a lot the last week or so um, for a conference, but also for some graduations, right? So I you know, had some friends at Yale who graduated um, on Monday, and then also got to see some colleagues of mine uh, graduate from Harvard uh, the last couple of days. So I uh, just got back last night and I'm kind of you know, recovering, recuperating, but we here. 
That's so exciting. I'm glad that you're supporting other graduate students, especially at the end of this journey, because, you know, I think it can be difficult going through the process to imagine the end. So when you get there and other people can support you, I think that's a great thing. So thanks for setting the standard in that way. Um, getting into our discussion today, what's one event that has your attention? It can be a good event, sad event, happy event, just something that is really grabbing your attention in this particular moment. Oh, goodness. Um, I think it's hard to, to pull, like to name just one thing because there's so many things happening at the same time. And so, you know, whether we're thinking about, you know, mass shootings that have transpired over, you know, in a, most recently in a, you know, elementary school or middle school, right? Um, whether we're thinking about, you know, people being murdered at a grocery store, you know, by a white supremacist, um, whether we're thinking about the fact that kind of quietly yesterday was the two year anniversary of George Floyd murder, George Floyd's murder uh, by Derek Chauvin and his accompanying officers, right? It's a lot of things happening at the same time. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, and all of this happening in the context where um, different nation states are at war and or like one nation state is essentially using its absolute power to decimate um, you know, population and remove them from their territory that they've been rightfully occupying. So yeah, I, I say it's really hard to pinpoint one thing because I feel like I'm constantly trying to keep attention on all of the different things, right? And those just being things that have kind of made more recent um, headlines internationally, but, you know, let alone the things that are not even, you know, catching attention, right? Um, kind of the more routine inequities or more routine um, traumas that are here. So, um, but I think on a positive note, one thing that has, I have been leaning into, um, you know, some of what I was saying when I, uh, when I came on is like graduation season, right? So like celebrating, finding moments to celebrate um, and to, you know, find moments of joy and positivity you know, especially amidst kind of the chaos of the moment that we're in. So I've been trying to lean into that a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, juxtaposing the celebratory um, happening at the same time or simultaneously as these really intense tragedies, I think is a really interesting way of just kind of characterizing part of the experience of being Black at Yale, which is not to suggest that it's in any way tragic, but it is supposed to be viewed as an accomplishment for many of us who do end up here. Um, but that accomplishment is involves enduring a lot of things that can be dangerous to our well-being while on campus, but also enduring the things that are dangerous to the well-being of Black people in the nation writ large. Also the tragedies that affect us across racial lines, across class lines um, in the world writ large. Um, and so I, I think on that note of just recognizing how we have to consider both the good and the bad at the same time while still trying to find a way to exist in our world. Um, I'm very curious about how these dynamics play into the kind of research that you're doing at Yale. Um, if you could take a minute to just briefly describe your research 
that would be great. Sure. Um, so uh, this is coming from a, a mentor of mine recently. He kind of helped me think through this a little bit. But you know, the way I would describe the work that I do is that my work focuses on historical and contemporary notions of safety and how Black people use those notions to organize their lives. So on one hand, I'm somebody who is a student of lynching, you know, very much inspired by, you know, the work of Ida B. Wells, Barnett, um, Monroe Work, and other anti-lynching advocates to try to make sense of, you know, how through throughout history as the United States was becoming the United States, trying to understand how people's um, right to be, their rights to citizenship were contested and how that shapes when and where lynchings transpired. Um, you know, on the other hand, there's parts of my work focus on lynching that's um, kind of a little different, but it's trying to understand specific institute, specific actors. So one of which is um, Tuskegee Institute and Monroe work in the work of Booker T. Washington and kind of not only what was the, what were the practical and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like what were the objectives they were trying to accomplish with their work? But how did they, how did those values um, essentially influence their institute, institutional interventions, but also the work that they did with documenting lynching as a phenomenon. Um, and in a more contemporary sense, I'm somebody who studies police violence. I'm somebody who is very astutely aware of, you know, where police misconduct has been and continues to transpire and some of the dynamics that, you know, are shaping that environment. Um, you know, but with an understanding that the institution of policing is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, and so, you know, in order to think about, you know, what, what solutions we might need to co-produce safety, you know, some of my work in my dissertation is trying to understand, you know, how do people understand what their safety priorities are? How do they understand, like, what the most pressing needs are in their neighborhoods? And what, what do they see as um, being necessary to address those needs? And again, some of that might require looking at interventions beyond the institution of policing. Or maybe people see that that institution is fine. Um, but, you know, I say all that to say that, you know, the work that I do is very much kind of impacted by and shaped by, you know, the moment that we're in. But, you know, I guess what brought me to the work is a little bit different than that. Um, yeah, so. Uh, thank you so much for that rich and layered description of your research. Um, as you know, we think about the ways in which your research sort of examines historic and contemporary notions of public safety and how Black people organize themselves around those understandings. Uh, what are your methodologies? What does that look like? Um, so I am somebody who I would self-identify as um, a Black studies trained sociologist, but I'm somebody who uses different methods, depends on the question. So, you know, I'm somebody who is comfortable navigating archives and looking at historical documents and doing, you know, different forms of content analysis or um, inductive rendering, you could say, 
to try to translate, you know, how what how different actors have operated historically to the contemporary moment. I'm somebody who also can crunch numbers. Uh, you know, I think coming out of college, I was a finance an accountant for a little bit, in finance and accounting for a little bit. And um, also in policy school, you know, we're doing a lot of data stuff. So um, I definitely developed a comfort with, you know, working with numbers and, you know, looking at different data sets. Um, I'm also somebody who likes talking to people. You know, I like being uh, in conversation with people, being in space with people and trying to understand kind of where they find themselves. So that to say, you know, I use all different kinds of methods um, in the process of my work. And again, it really comes back to the question, you know, and so in some cases, I would rather talk to people to understand from, from them what they see is going on as opposed to looking at existing data, which may tell me about something, but it may not tell me about how people think about that thing. Um, or, you know, there's things that, you know, data that has already been collected and quantified doesn't capture that only lived experiences will or narratives will. And at the same time, there's ways in which relying on uh, administrative data uh, or secondary data is actually really useful when you want to talk about the scale or the impact of something and where it exists across different locales. So, so yeah, I try to take um, kind of a more pluralistic approach to methods. Um, I'm somebody who's trained as an urban ethnographer, even though, um, you know, the work I'm doing right now is not necessarily a traditional ethnography, but when the time comes, I'm sure that that's something that, that's another method that I will kind of lean into as well. Um, so yeah, but I think for me, the, the question of method is always about what is the question I'm trying to answer and what is the thing I'm actually trying to do with the work, right? So, cause I think different methods lend themselves to being utilized um, in different ways beyond just the production of an article or a book chapter or like another written document, but certain methods can capture different kinds of information that can be represented in different ways on the other side. So I try to have a big bag of tools. Yeah, I really love what you said about um, the question of method being a question of what's the question that I'm trying to answer with my research and what's the thing that I'm trying to do. And so in that, we would love to know how you would define the mission of your research. Ooh. Um, that's why you guys have questions beforehand. No, uh, I would say, um, I believe that all people, but especially Black people, deserve access to the perpetual resources that they need to live happy, healthy, productive lives. Absolutely. And I would say that we live in a world where you know, the resources people need to live happy, healthy, productive lives are inequitably distributed, right? And so, you know, what I hope to do with my work is to, I guess, challenge, um, on one hand, to challenge um, defenses of the status quo that are not necessarily honestly representing the, the material conditions that people are living in right now. Yeah. But you know, I think what I also hope is that my work can um, play a part in contributing towards like reimagining liberatory futures, like reimagining liberatory futures where, you know, not only are people safe, but they're free. Mm -hmm. Or not only, 
do people have access to you know food and grocery stores but they have access to affordable housing like there's you know they can be living in neighborhoods that are economically autonomous um so yeah so i think for me it's that's a big that is the mission um but i think where i see myself right now is trying to inspire well inspire is probably too big of a word i'm trying to paint a picture of like where have we been how have people fought for freedom for reimagining futures in the past how do we make sense of the ways in which the, the ways that people are asking or beckoning us to reimagine the future in the future mm -hmm. and then you know you know i would love to be a part of the process and the conversation of kind of exploring like what might what different kinds of approaches might we try to um, pursue to co-produce safety and to produce co-produce outcomes that allow for people to live happy healthy productive lives so um and yeah and like i i'm not in saying that i'm not saying that like the work that i'm doing is going to like create a landslide of any kind of way but i rather see it as something that's contributing towards work that's already been done and is already happening and it has always been happening um but that might be showing up in different ways now than it has historically wow i think that is lofty and not in a bad way like you have to dream big imagine big right um in order to really create the world that we want um and so i really value and appreciate the way that you have characterized what you want your work to do in the world um something that you said that really sits with me um you identified yourself as a black studies sociologist i believe black studies trained sociologist yeah. a black studies trained sociologist which i think is just profound right <laughs> um I, I think it's profound for a host of reasons because black studies as a, a discursive field means something different for a lot of people. But what you mentioned when you were describing how you're approaching your work, you said that you love people, you are interested in data sets, and you're also essentially interested in writing ethnography, which to me are very different approaches to your work. But I also see just coming from a black studies perspective, how those things work in tandem with one another. Um, and so I'm really curious if you could talk about just based off of that fact alone, the, the, the different ways that you're approaching your work, how the university in any capacity informs, whether that's aiding or inhibiting the kind of work that you're actually doing. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, call a spade a spade. Yale is a resource-rich institution. Um, there's things that we have access to as graduate students and doctoral students that quite frankly other people at other universities don't mm -hmm. so when i think about um some of the projects that i started as an early career student very much was a benefactor of different resources if it was from the center of race and indigenous transnational migration or the digital humanities lab um, the guild of learning center for um, slavery and abolition study of abolition Right. So like those are institutions within this institution that supported the early work I did. Um, but then something happened where I was awarded a fellowship from the Robert Johnson Foundation's um, Health Policy Research Scholars Program. And that opened up doors in terms of being able to give me access to not just financial resources, but like the people resources that are required to do research, different kinds of research. And so I think 
um, being at a place like Yale, um, you know, I've had access to different forms of different resources that have allowed me to start up and invest in projects that matter to me based on the mission that I have. Um, and then likewise, I've been able to benefit from different networks and programs and things outside the university that have also kind of helped me facilitate, facilitate access for me to, um, to do the work that I'm called to do. And I think, you know, I want to acknowledge both that, you know, within the university, you know, I've had, you know, some, some good mentorship and some good supports, but I've also had to rely on things outside the university, particularly because, um, you know, I'm in the social science discipline, which sometimes um, likes to put people in boxes and say, like, you can do this or that versus, you know, and again, I talked about how my work thinks about historical things and it thinks about historical and contemporary notions of safety. Some people told me way back when you should just do one of those. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but that's not how my work does, right? Or I'm not being called to go in that direction. And so I think the resources I've been able to access have allowed me to do the work that's been meaningful for me always um, and to put that at the center as opposed to, you know, being in a different kind of environment where I either didn't have access to those resources or had to make different decisions about the trajectory of where I was going to invest my time. Yeah, Damar, um, everything you've shared has just been so thought provoking and amazing. And I'm thinking about the next generation of scholars coming up, myself, Jazz, um, and others coming after us. And uh, we would just love to know what words of wisdom would you share with other Black students doing research at you? Yeah, um, dream big, mm -hmm. be audacious, live in your purpose, and always, always, always shoot your shot. You know, I say that because, you know, it is something Jazz had mentioned too um, in response to kind of sharing my vision. It's like, as doctoral students, I would make a bet to say that we are entrepreneurs. We are people who are responsible for, you know, to, to build something, right? And, you know, what it, what it is that we build and what we use it for, the different things, like it's all up to us. And the sky is the limit. And one of, I'll never forget something one of my mentors, um, Dr. Otis Johnson says, which is never take no from somebody who can't give you a yes, including yourself. Hmm. Because we're very quick to put limits on ourselves. So true. What we can and can't do or what is and isn't possible. When we actually may not be the best judge sometimes of what is or isn't possible, what we can or can't do. And so, you know, you know, dream big, be audacious, living your purpose is take, you know, so for people who have made it to this point and become a doctoral student, whatever has brought you to this point has brought you to this point. Whatever it is that you said that you wanted to do that made you apply for a PhD program, decide to pursue a PhD, go live that into existence, live it into fruition, right? And that's, you owe it to yourself and whoever else got you to this point to do that, right? Um, because universities are not gonna do that for you. They're not gonna hold your hand in that process. All they're gonna do is open the door, right? And so, you know, I definitely want to encourage students to, um, you know, to, to always be mindful of, you know, what brought them to this point, always to be mindful of the fact that they are never alone and that there are people who are, they can not only access, but that who are going through the things that they're going through as well. And there's ways to build community um, and positive community 
even in spaces that may seem inhospitable, right? But, you know, it's those relationships with your peers, with staff, um, even sometimes with faculty that can help get you through. Um, but it's also important to look outside the university for sustenance and joy, for healing, for recovery, recuperation. So don't put everything into, you know, work hard, but also learn how to rest hard too, because it's a marathon aspect. Oh, I think uh, that was a word, as we like to say. I needed that word. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much, Damar. We really appreciate you taking the time to record with us. Um, and thank you all for joining us on our podcast, Black at Yale. Uh, Sandra, do you have any closing words before we go off air? Nothing except to say that you're awesome, Damar, and we wish you all the best in the future with your research. We really do, quite genuinely. So I appreciate y'all. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the PhD Podcast Project from the Yale's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and don't forget to subscribe and check out other episodes on our website.